Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. We're starting a new series entitled Spiritual Disciplines. And uh, it's a seven-week series, and I'm going to be kicking off the first one, uh, as you'll see a bit further on, on confession and repentance. But I think it's important to talk a little bit around discipline, because I think in our day and age, many Christians dial out at the thought or the concept of discipline. And yes, we embrace grace, and rightfully so, but we see any form of discipline as effort, as works, as something that is legalistic, and as a result of it, we resist it. We pull back from it. But that's not what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul writes to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus, and he says, train yourself to be godly. Now let me remind you, training requires things like effort, discipline, commitment. If we're going to be serious about training, it's not a stroll in the park. There's things that God calls us to do. It means possibly setting our alarms a little early in the morning so that we can get up and spend time with God in preparation of that which God has for us in the day. But you know what's going to get me up when my alarm goes off? Discipline. <laughs> Discipline. And that goes right across every area of life. We need to be disciplined. I had the, I think it's the privilege, I'm not sure, of doing army training. And let me tell you, army training is all about discipline. They wake you up, or you wake yourself up at three in the morning, so that you can have, be ready for inspection at five o'clock in the morning. We used to have guys in our, in our barracks who wouldn't sleep on their beds at night because their beds had to be that neat for inspection the next morning. Now, I don't know if that's discipline or stupidity, but either way, my point is you learn discipline in places like the army. But you know what? The church is called to be the army of God. And if we're going to be the soldiers that God has called us to be, let me tell you, it does require discipline. It requires us training ourselves so that we can be and do everything God's called us to. You know, Paul writes in, in, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about beating his body and making it, its, making it its, his slave. In other words, disciplining it. Why? So that after he's preached to others, he won't be disqualified for the prize. Discipline. And I'm of the belief that spiritual disciplines, which is the theme of what we're going to be looking at over the next seven weeks, but spiritual disciplines are what create spiritual desire in us, which in turn produce a spiritual delight. Did you get that? Spiritual discipline is what brings about spiritual desire in us, which ultimately produces spiritual delight. But here's the thing. We all want the desire and the delight, but we want it without the discipline. It can't be done. And so spiritual disciplines then are an important component to us going on in Christ. And I've come to realize there are no shortcuts 
to becoming more like Jesus. If we're going to grow up into him who is the head, spiritual disciplines are a key part of that. If we're going to go on to maturity, spiritual disciplines are what is, what is going to enable us to grow and become mature in all that God has for us. All right. So let's get into the first of the seven, and that is confession and repentance. Now, you have to understand that the starting point to coming to Christ, in other words, salvation, is through confession and repentance. And so repentance, which in essence means turning from sin, is the first step that we take in our Christian walk. We cannot walk this road of faith unless repentance is the opening, the first step of it. It's what Peter preached to the people who were looking and seeing the wonder of what God was doing amongst the apostles. In Acts chapter 3 verse 19, he says to the crowd, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Because that's what repentance does. But in the same breath, can I say it cannot just be the first step we take. It's got to be the ongoing practice and the discipline of every born again believer throughout the Christian journey. And so I want to look at these two aspects of repentance. What I might refer to as initial repentance and then ongoing or continual repentance. And so let's start by looking at this first step. Because on it hinges our whole Christian existence. If we miss this, we miss everything. And in Luke chapter 5, you can read the story there of how Peter has an encounter with Jesus that changes his life. And I want to encourage you to go and read that passage. But the result of this encounter is we see that Peter falls at Jesus' feet And he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Verse 8. Friends, can I say this morning, that is the beginning of repentance. Because without this heart, heart attitude, there can be no true or genuine repentance. And where there is true repentance, the effects of that will be what we read here in verse 11. How he pulled up his boat up on the shore left everything and followed Jesus. And you know what? In the same way, this has to be the effect that repentance has on each one of us. That we are willing to leave everything for the sake of Christ. Everything. And I think the reason why many never come to the place of total surrender in Christ is because they've never gone through the gate of true repentance. And they haven't gone through it because they've never got to the place of throwing themselves on God's grace and on his mercy as they've seen and acknowledged the awfulness of their sin. Arthur Wallace wrote a book entitled The Radical Christian. And it's a classic. I want to encourage you, if you've never read it, get it. I don't know if it's still in print, but maybe you can get it on um, Kindle. You can see the generation I grew up in. eh? (laughs) 
outstanding book. And I want to read a couple of excerpts from that book. And this is what he says. Jesus made it clear that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. But over the years, men have removed the gateposts, knocked down the, sorry, but over the years, men have removed the gates, knocked down the gateposts, and generally widened the gateway so as to make it easy for all and sundry to enter. Inevitably, standards have been lowered, spirituality watered down, and the sharp edge of testimony blunted. Nowadays, the professing church is a mixed multitude, far removed from the first Christian community of whom we read, no one else dare join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. To belong to that lot, you had to be real. It was all or nothing. The professing church will never again be a radical society until its radical terms of entry are observed as they were in the early church. And let me remind you, those terms of entry have never changed. They are still as radical today as they were then. And that is through repentance. But you know, repentance is more than simply being sorry about our sin. Because you know, if I'm caught speeding, and thankfully there were no cameras this morning for Liam, But if I'm caught speeding and I get a fine, let me tell you, I am genuinely sorry about it, but not necessarily repentant. Because my sorrowful state will cause me to keep a sharper lookout for those speeding cameras. But my repentant state will cause me never again to go over the speed limit. There's a big difference there. J.C. Ryle said this, repentance is not when you cry, repentance is when you change. And I think that's the difference between what Paul referred to as worldly sorrow, which brings death, and godly sorrow, which brings about repentance, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Let me keep reading from the radical Christian. To repent means to change one's mind. When a man repents, he ceases to justify himself. Instead of excusing his sin, he exposes it. Instead of siding with himself against God, he sides with God against himself. It is not that he is able to break the chains of sin. That is God's work. But God will only do this when a man's attitude towards his sin has changed. And again, I want to say many don't see the awfulness of their sin and therefore never truly repent, which was the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. This is what it says. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, 
rather than the other went home justified before God because of his repentance. Genuine, heartfelt repentance. John Stott says repentance is the first part of Christian conversion. It can in no circumstances be bypassed. Repentance and faith belong together. We cannot follow Christ without forsaking sin. Please hear that, friends. We cannot follow Christ without forsaking sin. Christ and our sin don't walk together in harmony. They are poles apart. Choose who you will serve. Jesus and his ways or sin and your ways. Your will, your wants, your desires, your cravings. You know, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, Judas confesses with deep remorse when he says, I've sinned by betraying an innocent man to death. Of course, speaking of Jesus. But had there been true repentance, you know what? He would have experienced God's forgiveness, which would have prevented him from taking his own life. And instead of him throwing those silver coins on the temple floor, which he had received for betraying Jesus, he could have thrown himself at the feet of God and found mercy and forgiveness. But in order to repent, you have to acknowledge your sinfulness. As Peter did when he fell at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me, Lord. And just as the tax collector did when he cried out to God for mercy. You have to admit to your own failure and your own defeat. Admit to your own moral and spiritual bankruptcy. Because only then can you repent, turn to Christ, and cross over from death to life. Only then. But the second part of repentance is what I would term continual or ongoing repentance. And so just because you repented at salvation does not mean that you no longer have to repent again. Are you with me? And so our repentance now as believers is not about salvation. It's not for salvation. That's a done deal. That's a one-sort thing we did when we did our initial repentance. And the result of it is we, 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 we received the gift of eternal life. And true conversion has, has happened. But this repentance now is about ongoing forgiveness. It's about abiding fellowship with our Father in heaven. That's what brings about this, or the result of this repentance. And I don't need to tell you, but let me tell you anyway, in case you don't know it. But all believers have the propensity to sin. And to mess up. And to move away from God. All of us. No exceptions. It's what John writes when he, he writes to the church in 1 John 1 verse 8. And he says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so to sin, the most basic definition or understanding of it from the Greek means to miss the mark. It's to miss God's mark and God's intent for your life. 
But not only does sin cause us to miss the mark, it also separates us from God in the sense that it puts distance between God and ourselves. That's what sin does. And so when we do miss God's mark and we miss God's best for our lives because of sin, we need to confess it and then we need to repent of it or we need to ask God to forgive us of it and then be willing to repent. Which means what? To change our mind. To do an about turn. To go in the opposite direction. And to do that no matter how many times we mess up. Which is why this is a spiritual discipline. Because for some of us, most of us, all of us, it'll be something we do daily. And for those in the front row, probably every hour. <laughs> Those in the back row, I won't say every minute. God bless you in the back row. But that's the reality. It's something we all have to do. Why does a spiritual discipline? But here's a reminder. Repentance always leads to confession. And where there is no confession, be it to God or to others, it's not wholehearted repentance. And yes, sometimes confession is between you and God. Just like David in Psalm 51, he says, it's against you and you alone have I sinned. But then friends, can I also say there are times when it is, yes, before God, but also to someone else. Because James 5.16 clearly says, confess your sin to one another. Why? So that they can bear witness of what it is that you've done and are doing and they can hold you accountable for it. And so let me say it again. Yes, there are occasions where you do business with God and you work it out with God and you get off your, your knees knowing that you are totally forgiven, healed, restored, new again. But there are other times, particularly when it's a besetting sin, that you need to go to a brother if you're a man and say bones man I'm struggling with this thing I keep asking God to help me but I keep tripping I keep getting entangled by this thing I need your help I need your prayers I need your support but I need your accountability and I'm expecting you to ask me if not every day then as often as you can Mark how are you doing with this thing feeling like there's any breakthrough no bones I messed up again it's all right, come on, let's pray. Let's trust God together. I can pick up the phone at one in the morning and say, Bones, man, I'm struggling with this thing. He might not be happy, <laughs> but because he's an accountable brother, he'll pick that phone up and say, I'll be there, I'm coming. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He who is alone with his, with his sin is utterly alone. Wow. He who is alone with his sin, who hides it away, won't share it with anyone, won't bring it out into the light, is utterly alone. And friends, I want to say that's a very dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. <coughs> Proverbs 28.13 gives us this counsel. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them 
finds mercy. Which means then we can't just confess our sin. We've also got to forsake our sin. That we want nothing more to do with our sin. That's renouncing. Not entertaining it. Not walking so close to the edge thinking I'm not going to fall off. No, actually fleeing from it, running from it, having nothing more to do with it, not wanting anything to do with it. That's renouncing. But here's the thing, a change of mind, which is repentance, always results in a change of direction. And we begin to move in the direction that God's called us to. eh? Change of course. And so confession then is to acknowledge our sin, it's to own our sin, but then it's also to bring our sin into the light. Because here's the thing, when something remains in darkness, you know what, the devil has control over it. He has power over that thing. But when we confess our sin, knowing that he, Jesus, is faithful to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, you know what, it's then brought out into the light. And the power of darkness is broken over it. And it's then that healing, forgiveness, and freedom becomes ours. David experienced this very thing. And he writes about it in Psalm 32. And I'm just going to read the first five five verses and, and we'll bring it to a close. But he makes this incredible declaration in Psalm 32 verse 1 when he says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. I say amen to that. Wow, what a truth. What a declaration. But how did David get to that place? Well, you've got to keep reading. The very next verse, he says, when I kept silent... In other words, when I didn't confront or or confess my sin, when I hid it away, I wouldn't deal with it. He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Let me tell you, I have experienced the heavy hand of God. It is not pleasant, but it's necessary. If you, will resu- if you will repent and if you will change and if you will start to do things God's way. Jonah experienced the heavy hand of God until he repented. David, as we've just seen, experienced the heavy hand of God. And he goes on, he says, then, there's a key word, eh? then, I've underlined it in my Bible. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And it's in that truth that he's then able to declare, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. The power of confession. But here's the thing about sin. It doesn't just creep up on you and catch you off guard or by surprise. No. Yes, it may be crouching at your door in its desire to have you, as Genesis 4 verse 7 says, 
But it goes on and says, but you have to master it. In other words, you have to choose to resist it and not succumb to it. Because sin is intentional. Sin is deliberate. It's a conscious decision you make to go against God's will and God's ways for your life. But the closer you are to God, and the more that you become like Jesus, can can I say, the more it should hurt you when you do sin. Why? Because you know it's hurting the Father's heart. It's grieving the Holy Spirit. David puts it like this in Psalm 38, 18. He says, I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Because let's face it, you'll never confess your iniquity until you're truly troubled by your sin. That you don't just tolerate your sin. You don't excuse your sin. You don't try and justify your sin. You don't blame others for your sin. No, you acknowledge it and you get troubled by it because you know it's grieving the heart of God and for that reason you are willing to confess it and deal with it and renounce it and put it aside behind you by the grace of God. And that's why I believe spirituality is defined as closing the time gap between sin and repentance. And the shorter that time gap, let me tell you, the more spiritual you are. But the converse is also true that the bigger and the longer that time gap is between me messing up and me confessing and repenting, the less spiritual I am. And not only am I less spiritual, but my heart and my conscience get hard and they get seared. And it won't be long before I don't even know the difference between sin and righteousness. It's all gray. It's no more black and white. It's a dangerous place. And so confession and and repentance, let me also say this, is not done to gain God's acceptance. You are accepted. You are loved. You are chosen. You are precious. But rather, it's done to remove the barrier that sin has created between God and you. God in me that's what it does it's so that fellowship can once again be restored between you and the father and so this morning you might be struggling with sin maybe there are things that are continually entangling you and in your walk with God things that keep tripping you up hindering you you know that this thing pulls you away from intimacy with God Well, the good news is God wants to forgive you of your sin. He doesn't want to hold it against you. He certainly never wants to use it against you. And yes, I do need to add that sometimes sin does leave scars and that there are consequences, things that we will live for with the rest of our lives, but we don't have to allow it to affect our relationship with God. But in order for the Father to forgive you, In order for him to cleanse you from your sin, you need to confess it and you need to repent of it. 
so that you can enjoy maximum joy and fellowship and intimacy that comes by being with him and not estranged from him because of this barrier called sin.